church. To hear Caleb uh, bringing the word to us and preaching. Um, and Caleb, you can come up here. So um, I, I'm sure some of you know Caleb, but I'm going to share a little bit about uh, Caleb to you. So Caleb's going to be a junior at Cedarville, and he's going to be studying uh, business and finance. Um, and he'll be serving uh, his second term as uh, a chaplain. So as, uh, being a chaplain, he has the opportunity to, to uh, preach to the other students, to speak to the other students. And he has spoken to uh, 4,000 of the students there. So that was surely a great opportunity for him. And this year he's going to be serving at Twin Lakes Camp for the fourth time. And he's going to be a counselor um, this year there at Twin Lakes. Uh, and this morning he's here with us to share God's word with us. So why don't we pray for him now? So let's pray. Father, uh, we pray that your spirit will use Caleb to impress the truth of your word in us to open our minds, to, to grasp your truth, um, to open your, our hearts to delight in your love for us that you show to us in Christ. Uh, help us to respond to what we hear by trusting what Christ has done for us and by following in his steps. And we pray that you use Caleb to accomplish your work in us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, so um, as Jude said, I am Caleb Wicker. I'm Pastor Steve's son. Um, so I got home from school, and Dad put me to work taking over his job. <laughs> so here we are. Um, but yeah, so I had the opportunity this year to serve in a um, pretty unique role on campus, and I was able to preach twice at chapel um, for the student body. And so um, I was asked if I could maybe do that here um, back home as well before I head off to camp. So this morning we'll be in Philippians chapter 4 verses 4 through 9, so if you would turn there with me. And as you turn there, let me ask you a couple questions. Okay, so um, number one, have you ever felt unstable in your circumstances? Okay, do you ever get anxious or worry about things, about how life might play out? Maybe when a relationship is on the rocks or when the future at work is uncertain or something like that? Um, or on, on, maybe on a bigger scale, do you ever wonder, will I ever amount to anything? Or have I, have I wasted my life up to this point? Or, or maybe will I ever be free of this anchor that's just weighing me down day in and day out? Do you ever fail to trust God and fail to trust that God really knows what's best for me and that he really does care? And I, think, um, I think we can all relate to these questions in one way or another. And the passage we're going to look at this morning deals with this issue directly. And so... As we get started, I want you to look or think about areas of your life um, where you fail to trust God that create some sort of worry, some sort of anxiety, some sort of uncertainty, and reflect on those areas as we walk through this passage. Okay, and so this morning, I want you to feel the, the warmth and the love that God has for you and, and to show that there's a way to this love and this warmth. So let's look at Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9 together, okay, so um, verse 4, it says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be made known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, Whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. 
what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Okay, so let's pray this morning together. Heavenly Father, God, thank you for your word. God, thank you for the joy that you have for us. God, I pray that we will um, see the truth of your word this morning. Lord, speak through me, because um, Lord, you are the one with power, Lord, and uh, I pray, Lord, you will just use your mighty word this morning, and in your name we pray. Amen. Okay, and so my main idea this morning is this, that the gospel casts out anxiety and brings peace and joy. Okay, the gospel casts out anxiety and brings peace and joy. And this passage gives us, um, it shows how this happens by giving us a couple commands, um, a couple means in which to meet those commands, and then a couple promises that can then fuel our joy. Okay, and so we're going to look at each of these individually and walk through them, but as we begin, it's important to understand the context in which we're stepping into, coming in at the end of the book of Philippians. Okay, and so um, in the whole context of Philippians, Paul is writing from prison this letter to the church at Philippi. Okay, and he's praising the church for their partnership with the gospel and encouraging them to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel and to do this with this tremendous joy. Okay, and Paul hammers on the point that we're to follow Jesus' example that we find in chapter 2 as he humbled himself in obedience to the Father's will, even to the point of death, death on the cross. You know that passage. And, and um, he calls us then to fix our eyes on God and put all of our confidence and all of our delight in him. Okay, and so then as we come to chapter 4, it begins with Paul addressing two women in the church directly. Okay, verse 2, it says, I entreat Iodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help, them, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Okay, and so Paul, when Paul calls out individuals like this, um, he's not merely going at some behavioral problem that's arisen, but he's, there's something that these two women are missing about Jesus that is then causing them to quarrel and fight and whatever's going on here. Okay, and then the fact, though, that he addresses these two women individually at, in a letter that's addressed to the whole church indicates that um, the thing that these two women were missing about Jesus is something that the whole church was missing as well. Okay, and so out of this confrontation at the beginning of chapter 4, and then on the back of the previous three chapters leading up to um, verse 4, um, we step into this list of commands that Paul has. And so um, the first point in this morning that we're going to walk through are the commands that Paul has. Um, it kind of lays out in this passage. Okay, so look at verse 4 with me. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Okay, and so immediately we see that Paul is very adamant about these believers having joy. Okay, so he's so adamant about it, in fact, that he commands it twice. It's almost like he says, rejoice in the Lord always, and yes, in case you missed it, I did say rejoice in the Lord. Okay, but, but how can Paul say this? I mean, how can he really say rejoice in the Lord always? I mean, I, find, I know I find this difficult to do, and I'm sure you do too. Um, like maybe when um, like I blow an exam that I've studied very hard for, like rejoice always. Or when, you know, my car just continues to break down over and over again. Like rejoice always. Or maybe when um, you're untreated unfairly by a boss or a supervisor at work. Like rejoice always. I mean, I find myself um, easily pushing back against this command to rejoice always. But if anybody had reason to push back against this command, I mean, it was Paul. 
I mean, after all, because of his faith in Christ, he had been beaten, he'd been shipwrecked, he'd been mocked, he'd been an outcast. And as he's writing this, these words, he's in prison. Okay, so how can Paul rejoice in the Lord when it was for the cause of Christ that all of these terrible things had happened? It seems that, this, that the joy that Paul is commanding here is something much deeper and something uh, much richer than just slapping on a, fa- a smile every morning and forcing to put a pep in my step every morning as I walk out the door. Okay, so, so but what is this joy then that Paul's talking about? Well, John, John Piper describes Christian joy as Paul uses it here in the book of Philippians as a good feeling of the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the word and in the world. Okay, so this joy is not some idea or some figment, but it's a real, it's a real tangible emotion. Okay, but, but the problem is that we can't really control our emotions. Okay, what I mean by that is if I'm, um, say I'm sailing on the ocean and I can't swim and I get knocked overboard. Okay, I'm not just going to stop there and be like, okay, first of all, I can't swim. Uh, second of all, it's really deep. Third of all, there's sharks swimming underneath me. I should probably be afraid and I should probably freak out. Now, like, once I hit the water, I'm going to scream and flail and yell, and my fearful emotions are just going to naturally kick in. Okay, and so if we can't necessarily control our emotions, but we are here commanded to have joy, then this joy must be produced by something that is greater and outside of myself, namely the Holy Spirit. Okay, so that is why Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. It's not that I'm rejoicing in my circumstances. It's not that I'm just sucking it up and acting like everything is wonderful in the world. But this joy is a fruit of the work of the Spirit in the heart of a believer. Okay, and so the joy that we're commanded to have is an intense delight in the Lord that brings unity within the body, but also a love for one another. Okay, and so with that being said, with that as, as that's what joy is, um, why does Paul make joy such a big deal? You know, why, is it, why does he say it twice? Why is it the first of all these commands? Well, I think Paul makes a big deal of joy because God makes joy a big deal. If we look throughout the scriptures, joy comes, out, comes up time and time again. Psalm 1611 says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 4-7 says, You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. And then John 15-11, as Nate was talking about earlier, he says, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Okay, and so, so joy is a big deal to Paul because our joy is a big deal to God, which, which is incredible, right? That we're commanded to have joy because God wants us to have joy. You know, but, and, and not only this, but when we have joy, we reflect the nature, the very character and very nature of God. And so having joy is being like God. Okay, but, but how do I know if I'm being joyful? Like, yes, okay, I get it. You, it says to be joyful. But how do I know if I'm, being rejo- if I'm rejoicing in the Lord? Well, very practically, I think that we praise and we talk about the things that we delight in. Okay, and so if I delight in a friend, something that a friend has done for me, I'm going to talk about that and praise what they've done. If I take a vacation and um, I, it's, it's great and I love it and I delight it in the beaches and the, in the sand or whatever, I'll come home and I'll talk about that vacation because it's what I delight in. 
Okay, and so the question then is, do you praise the work of God in other people's lives? You know, when a brother or sister hits a home run for the kingdom of God, are you there cheering them on and, and excited for them? Or are you on the sidelines, secretly envious, secretly beginning to tear them down? If we delight in Christ, then we will delight in the things that he delights in. Okay, and so, and, and so all, of this, all of this comes to say that so far, you know, we've been told to rejoice in the Lord always and be fully delighted in Christ. And that, you know, that's easy for me to stand up here and say, but if we take a real look at our lives, it's very hard to do. I mean, life is not always sunshine and rainbows. There's pain and there's failure and there's loss and we get confused and relationships fail and we get stressed out and it can be very, very difficult to rejoice always or rejoice ever. And we don't always know what God is doing. That often causes us to become anxious and uncertain and it makes this joy seem distant and honestly kind of unattainable. And I think we can all kind of relate and understand that aspect. But Paul, knowing this, um, continues through and gives us a few more commands. And so look at verse 5 with me. It says, Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. And then verse 6, Do not be anxious about anything. Okay, so let's break these two, two, two commands down. So first, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Okay, so what does this mean? I think it means that, you know, we are to conduct ourselves with the wisdom and grace and humility. So often we like compete with one another, and especially maybe in the body of Christ, that we want to be seen as the smartest or the funniest or even the most spiritual. Um, but that's not what Paul is, is going at here. He's calling for unity in the body, to fixate on glorifying God and acting then in light of that goal. And so we're able to do this then because we have, or we are to have, this common infatuation with God, but also because of what the end of verse 5 says. It says, the Lord is at hand. Okay, the Lord is near, and that's a fact, and what, you know, what a wonderful thought that is, that the Lord is near. And, and scholars debate whether that means that he's near in like a personal, um, relational kind of sense, or if that means that he's near and that he's coming soon. But either way, the fact that the Lord is near gives us tremendous hope. And, and the fact that the Lord is near, and the command then to rejoice in the Lord, are the basis for verse 6, and how we can do what it says to not be anxious about anything because the Lord is near, because we're called to rejoice in the Lord always. And so the third command that Paul gives is do not be anxious. And this anxiety and this worry is an issue of the heart that I think we all struggle with and something that we all need to work on. Okay? Because worry indicates a lack of trust in God's wisdom, sovereignty, and power. I mean, doesn't it, that, that worry says, because I don't know what's going on, because cause Caleb doesn't know what's going on, then God must not know what's going on either. Or maybe, like, I know in my head that God is good and that he's at work, but I don't want to believe it. Like, I know in my head that all this is happening, but I struggle to believe it in my heart. You know, worry, I think, doubts God, that God is a good and gracious far, Father who sees farther, whose love is deep, and who is in total control of each and every situation. You know, we worry because we don't think God will do the things we want the way that we want. You know, like we have this idea of like, oh, this is how I want my life to play out and the way that things are going to go. And we worry that God's not going to meet our standard of how life should go. You know, I think worry, you know, it fails to believe that God really does have a better plan for my life than I do. 
And, and I know that there's some of you in this room that are saying, you know, I get that and that's easy because I don't really worry. I just kind of go with the flow. And, you know, that, I understand that because that's kind of where I would put myself. But as I, you know, I've studied this passage and sought to apply it to my life, I think that this anxiety and this anxiousness that Paul talks about can manifest itself and apply itself to many different things. Okay, so maybe, maybe this can manifest itself when I'm stressed out about my schedule. Okay, or when finances get tight, or when a relationship ends, and all of the plans that I had come crumbling to the ground, and I don't know what, what the next step is, and I don't even know how to take the next step whenever I figure out what it is. And, you know, and all of these things just kind of well up inside of those of us who say we don't really worry. But maybe the thing that's causing you to worry is not something that has happened, but something that has yet to happen. Like, at this point in my life, I should have been making this much money, or I should be at this position in my company, or um, these certain things should have played out by now, and they just haven't. And now I'm worried about what that all means and who I now am and all these things. And these may seem very little, but I think these kinds of things take up a bunch of headspace in those of us who say we don't really worry that much. But I also know there's some of you in this room who are looking at me and you're saying, man, are you kidding me? Like, how... Do you have any idea what I'm going through? Like, I can't focus. I'm distracted. I can't even sleep at night because my world is falling apart. How am I not supposed to be anxious? And I empathize with you, and I want to be sensitive, but because those things are very real and very difficult and very hard. But for both groups of people, let's look back to the truth of Scripture. Okay, for both categories, we're still commanded to not be anxious about anything. Okay, so there must be something that surpasses my anxiety and has the power then to relieve it all. But how do I get that? How do I rejoice always? How do I be reasonable? How do I be anxious about nothing? Okay, well, let's keep going and take a look then at the means that Paul gives us in which to do these things. Okay, so the means is is the next section, the next point. So verse 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, with prayer and supplication, make your request made known to God. Okay, so this passage does not say, man, ah, I don't know, just like pray about it and see what happens. No, it gives us an, an outline of how to pray to dispel anxiety and how to find joy. Okay, so first it says in everything. So there's a stark contrast here. It says, do not be anxious about anything, rather in everything, with prayer, this adoration of God and this recognition that he is higher and mightier and wiser than I am, in supplication, which is an earnest pleading with God. Okay, so we're invited here to bring, to plead with the God of the universe and earnestly share our deepest, our deepest needs with him. Okay, and then the key, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Okay, and so the final piece of this prayer that dispels anxiety and brings joy is thankfulness. Thanksgiving is the foundation, and in part, it is what our joy is rooted in. You know, we have so many things to be thankful for. I mean, God has blessed us in so many different ways, from, from the shoes on our feet to the roof over our head to having a close-knit church community and church family, to having a job that puts food on the table and provides. Um, God has been so faithful in things that we so often overlook. You know, but ultimately, we can be thankful for what Christ has done on our behalf. That at the cross, the love and the wrath and the grace of God were all displayed. 
that God in his infinite kindness and grace looked upon you and looked upon me, a fallen and broken sinner who was running away from him with no desire for him. And he said, I still love you. You know, he said, I will pay the debt that he could never repay, and I'll pay it with my son's life, and I'll send my son to be a ransom for him, and then I will defeat the sin that has enslaved him, and I'll make him a child of the king and make him alive to reign with me forever, even though he can do nothing apart from me. And man, that is love, and that is something to be thankful for and something to rejoice in. But, but not only this, but let us not also forget what Christ is doing in us presently that we have been transformed and are being made like him, and we are united to him. Okay, so it's not necessarily just what Christ has done in the past in justifying me, but it's also what he is doing presently in making me like him and, and uniting me with him. And so being anxious and not having joy is simply contrary to who we now are. It's not just about what Christ has done, but it's what he is continuing to do as I am united with him. And the fruit then of this union is joy and peace. And so it's, it's what God has done for me instead of what I'm doing on my own. See chapter 3 of Philippians where Paul lists all these accomplishments that he has and then says, they all, I count them all as lost in comparison to knowing Christ. And so, so joy comes and anxiety leaves when I seek the Lord in thankful prayer. Okay, but there's another means that, that Paul gives us to meet the commands that he asks for us. So look at verse 8 with me. It says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is uh, lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Okay, and so here we're called then to think rightly. Okay, and so as I mentioned before, we can't, we, it's, we can't really control our emotions. Our bodies, our, our kind of natural response to things that happen to us. Okay, but we can and we are to control our thinking. I mean, you know, when difficulties come, and maybe you've experienced this, when difficulties come, our minds often go places that they shouldn't, and the, the devil can tempt us to believe things that are destructive in their lives. Um, but here... We're told to intentionally purify our minds and set them on the things of God. And so we have a responsibility here. Like that, this is something that we are called to do, uh, you know, actively do. But it's by no means a natural thing for us to do. And so we need help. But thankfully we know that the gospel has the power to transform and renew our minds. Okay, Romans 12:2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So the gospel has the power to renew and transform our minds, which is necessary if we are to think rightly. And it is necessary for us to think rightly if we're going to delight in the Lord and live in the way that he has called us to live. So dwelling on the things of God reminds us that even when life gets really hard, it reminds us that God is good and that he wants what's best for me and that he loves me and that he is sovereign and he's working all things, even the hard things, to bring me closer to himself. And so knowing this and thinking this way frees me from this uncertainty of anxiety and allows me then to enter into this joyful place of trusting in our God. And because this joy is not just, it's not some work. It's not something that we just muster up inside and hope just comes out. But joy is a product 
of grace. Joy is a product, and joy and peace, as we'll see, are byproducts of abiding in and dwelling on Christ. And so these are the promises that, God, that the God of the universe has made to us, that if we're faithful to do these things, then God promises good, good, good gifts. And so that brings us then to the promises that God has for us in this passage. So look at verse 7 with me. It says, um, Paul says, do, so Paul had just said, do not be anxious about anything, rather in everything, um, seek the Lord in prayer and supplication. And then verse 7, it says, and the, so, and, so if you do these things, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Okay, then look at verse 9. It says, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Okay, so here we see two big promises, that a peace that surpasses all understanding will guard our hearts and minds, and that the God of peace will be with us. Okay, so, and, and I want to be, be clear here that I don't think this text is necessarily giving us an explicit, like, if-then statement. Okay, what I mean by that is like in verse 9, um, I don't, it's not saying if you don't do these things, then God will leave you. Okay, we see throughout Scripture and then even in verse, um, in verse 5 that the Lord is near and that He is with us. Okay, but um, I think what it is saying, however, is that we have a responsibility to do these things if we want to experience the peace of God in its fullness. You know, it's calling us... It's, it's almost like you know, God has this fountain of grace that's just kind of coming down, and, and we can have a responsibility to act and think and do certain things to position ourselves under this fountain of grace that um, then, then brings you know, these, these blessings and these promises that God has for us. And so it's calling us throughout this passage to position ourselves under this fountain of God's grace so we can receive his blessings in full. And so let's look at these promises in a little bit more detail. Okay, so verse 7, the first one, it says, And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. A peace that surpasses all understanding. Right? That's, oh, how we want that when our souls are troubled. Right? We want, I want God to act in a supernatural way and fill my heart with this overwhelming sense of peace in the storm. And here it's saying that he will. Right, but, this, but this peace comes from prayer that is rooted in trust. A trust that God is still indeed at work and that He has not left me or taken His eyes off of me. You know, and this peace that is promised will guard our hearts and minds. Okay, and this is, man, this is just what we need when we are tempted to be anxious, right? When we're, when we're hurting and, and, and we're nervous, we feel fragile. You know, we feel like damaged goods. We feel like the world is against us and that any, at any moment, you know, a thoughtless comment from a friend would just crush us, right? And, and, and here it says that God cares, and that the peace of God will guard our hearts and minds with all gentleness and all love. Isaiah 43.2 is so comforting. As it says, A bruised reed he will not break. A faintly burning wick he will not extinguish. Okay, the God of the universe, all-powerful, is gentle enough to hold your battered soul with a peace that surpasses all understanding. And we can trust in him. Okay, and then in verse 9, we're promised not only um, the peace of God, but also the God of peace. 
Okay, says, all that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So if we do these things, then God promises to be with us. Okay, it's kind of like, you know, when I, your dad, when you're a kid, says, jump and I'll catch you. Okay, these, those two things necessarily go together. Do these things, and the peace of God will, be, and the God of peace will be with you. Okay, because it's hard to have, and it's impossible to have the peace of God when my mind is not fixed on Him. And if God is with us, as it promises, He will be. If God is with us, then we can confidently and joyfully face any anxiety or trouble that we may have because we're resting in the hand of the God that is in control of it all. And this is a promise that you can take to the bank every single time. So as we pursue the Lord, empowered by His Spirit, in prayer and dwell on the things of God, the peace of God settles our weary and anxious souls and allows us to rejoice in who our God is. And God's presence means that we can cultivate peaceful, prayerful, thankful hearts that are marked by a joyful reflection of what God has done. Okay, and so, so all of this to say, all of this, all these promises and commands and different things, like what, what does it, so what? You know, what do you do with a message like this? Well, I know with summer right around the corner and, and schedules changing and all these things, um, that may be a reason for some worry and some anxiety to be welling up inside of us. And so um, something very practical we can do. So every day this week, you know, it's Sunday, every day this week we can make a think list. Okay, and so um, every day make a list of ten things, whether that be ten char- characteristics of God or ten ways that he has um, moved in your life or maybe just ten ways Ten things that you need to remember to thank God for and, and take this list every day and, and pray through it and actually rejoice in who our God is. Okay, but maybe maybe for some of you who, before you can even get there, there's these big, big anxiety things that are just always on your mind. There's always, there's taking up all of your attention. And maybe first you need to prayerfully lay these worries down at the feet of, feet of our God. And trust that he is in still control and has a purpose for whatever this is that is, is, is going on. And so let me encourage you by, by with Mark chapter 4 where um, Jesus tells his disciples to get in this boat. And then they push off and then um, a little bit later this storm comes. And the disciples are freaking out. And Jesus comes up and he tells the storm to stop. And it, it all calms down. Right? And so um, it, it's, it's, it's cool to see that the same God who put the disciples in the boat is the same God who calmed the sea around them. And we can trust in this God. Um, but, but I don't know I don't know where all of you are right now. I don't know um, where people are, but I know there are times when we all worry. But let me encourage you that the things that we often worry about are almost always future-oriented. And, and some of the things that we worry about, if we get down to it, are simply just impossible to have happened. Um, but And these worries create this ambiguous cloud of turmoil that in our minds and our hearts over things that we really can't even control. So, so let me remind you that um, as we're looking at those things, that God's past faithfulness dictates how we look at the future. And so God's past faithfulness, what he has done and proven himself to do in the past, dictates how we look at the future. 
So maybe he's using whatever this may be to be a conduit uh, to bring you closer to him in an understanding of his grace and a greater experience of his joy. But ultimately, we can set our minds on the things of God. The things that are true, and this is the reality, that as children of God, we are rooted in Christ, we are built up in the faith, we are established, we are ransomed, justified, and made righteous. You are complete, you are loved, and held, and free, and purchased, and known, and made new, and a proud child of the King, all through the blood of Jesus Christ. And we can rejoice in that, and we can trust in this God who's made that all possible. So the gospel casts out anxiety and brings peace and joy. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for who you are, God, who, what you have done. Lord, I pray that we will lay down these burdens at your feet, God, to trust that you are in control, God, that you know what's best, that you are what's best, God, and you um, want our joy. Lord, help us to trust you. Lord, help our unbelief. God, help us to know that you are near. Lord, you're working all things for your glory and our good. In your name we pray. Amen. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. At this time, we're going to receive our morning offering. And let us pray. Father, we pray that you would... um, Help us to apply these truths to rejoice always. And Lord, not simply to hear this is a command that we have to uh, work hard as the energy within us to rejoice, but God, that we'd be looking to you, the author and perfecter of our salvation, the one who wants to give us peace, the one who's provided everything that we may have joy. And Lord, as we give, may our giving be an overflow, an abundant generosity as we would demonstrate our love and our joy in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.